0: Hello and welcome to Millennial Love,
1: a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality identity, and more. This week, I'm joined by the brilliant writer, Arja Barber, to discuss sustainability and how it affects our love lives. These aren't two subjects that are often thought about together. So I was very intrigued to hear from Arja about how they do relate to one another. Because as she writes in her new book, Consumed, it transpires that every element of our lives is related to the environment and our carbon footprints. And that does include dating and relationships. Before we get started, I'd love to remind you to sign up to our Millennial Love virtual panel, taking place on the 29th of September, where I'll be talking to previous podcast guests and experts about how the pandemic has changed the way we date. Now, on to the show. Hello, how are you doing? I am
2: having a great day. I mean it's Friday. Friday I'm in love. Like, <laughs> you know, like you can't complain about Friday so I'm having a good day.
1: Oh good, I'm pleased. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you about your brilliant book Consumed. Um, so I guess could you start us off by just explaining what it's about and what made you want to write it?
2: Yeah so Consumed is it's nonfiction and it's semi-autobiographical it doesn't get into like the deep history of my life but I talk about the systems of you know consumption and fast fashion and how that's impacted me and I tie in elements of racism and colonialism and so I'm weaving all of these topics that we talk about in one column into a story about someone who bought a lot of fast fashion and realized that the system was completely messed up. And maybe I don't want to be a part of this. And, you know, I, my goal is to not make anyone ever feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here from a superior perch going, oh, you need to stop buying fast fashion. But instead to be like, look, I can totally see why you feel like this system you have to participate in. But Maybe you don't have to participate. Maybe you can find a different way to still enjoy fashion, but to not feel compelled to read 20 different emails urging you to buy new things every single day. Maybe there's a reason why you feel compelled to do that, you know, and maybe it's nefarious. And maybe once you know that, you will actually be like, oh, I don't want to really participate with this anymore. So it's a book where I try and just talk to people and and say, look, these are the topics that you probably don't quite grasp how they're all tied together and this is how they're tied together. And what are we going to do about it next? Mm.
1: Yeah. And I want to ask you about, because the link between sustainability and relationships isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily an obvious one, Yeah, but I think the way that you write in the book about the intersection between the environment and our daily existence, you know, it makes it applicable to everything. And of course that includes relationships, both platonic and romantic. And so there are some specific things I wanted to talk to you about that you write about in the book, but I guess mm-hmm. in the first instance, could you explain what you think some of the biggest links between our our relationships and the impact that they have on the planet might be?
2: Yeah, so <laughs> Steve and I aren't you know the best example because we were we were long distance for a while, which meant he lived in London. I lived in Virginia, so we saw each other a few times a year usually, and that did involve a flight so not the best there but i think there's something to be said for like long distance relationships um i think you know you get really really good at communicating in a lot of ways and during the pandemic i think we had to really find our way back to that but the impact of this this wild ride that i've been on of basically coming here and being like Oh, I used to love London, like I lived here in 2003. And part of what I loved about London was the access to so much fast fashion and completely rethinking my relationship with that. And I think when you're in a relationship with someone, and, you know, they don't even think about these topics, they have to sort of come on that ride with you. You know, Mm. Um, when I moved back to London, I think part of what also helped me was moving here and getting married and basically Having to cram my life into my partner's flat, I had to really look at all of my possessions I was bringing over here. And what I found was oh my God, I have a lot of stuff. Like moving is Goddess's punishment for gross materialism. Because now when I'm in a store, I literally think, right, but would I want to move it overseas? You know? And so when I moved here, I felt very like, I took like a year to really like thoughtfully decrease my items, meaning finding new home for things. I didn't bag everything up and just dump it on a charity shop doorstep. I really didn't want to do that because I already knew about the issues that existed within the supply chain and that whole thing. So I took a solid year and I'm still working on it. When I go home to my parents' house, there is always a drawer I need to clean out. There is always clothing I need to go through. And that got me thinking about my consumption because so much of that stuff I didn't really want to take to this journey of my life with me. And so when I moved here, I thought, right, I'm never going back to that. And I think I've gradually really, really changed my approach to things. But my partner's come along for that ride as well. I mean, he, when I met him, he was, you know, decked out in like men's fast fashion. And now he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to look for a really nice secondhand jacket. I, I really like come to Garcon. And Obviously we can't afford that stuff full price, but we can get it secondhand.
1: <laughs> How did you go about having that conversation with him? Was that something that, you know, did you did you actively say to him, I think you need to stop buying fast fashion or was it kind of just organic from it, him kind of observing very, you?
2: It was very organic. And the truth is like, if I have to say like, who's the more sustainable out of the two of us, it's definitely Steve. I mean, when I met him, he's got... a very minimalist wardrobe and everything fits into his wardrobe for me. I'm all over the place, but let's also remember that the way society treats people who aren't men, when it comes to clothing, we are pressured more and there's more pressure on us, whether it's having a new dress for a wedding when a man wears a suit the entire time. Think about that newscaster in Australia where he wore the same suit for a solid year because he he wanted to make a point where his his um, colleague, who happens to be a woman, wears dresses and people will complain about her wardrobe, but nobody is looking at him. And so part of it is there's this societal thing where the expectation for men surrounding dressing, nobody's even looking at them sometimes. So it's very easy to be very minimalist and sustainable when you're a cisgender man. It is, you know, especially in your wardrobe. And so, um, you know, he was never a person that had too much, but he was a person where if he wanted an item, he would immediately just go to what was the easiest and the most accessible. So like, mm. you know, ASOS, or top shop, it's like, oh, starting a new job, better go get some shirts. And now, he doesn't do that anymore. He he shops a lot of secondhand like I do um, from some sustainable brands as well. And he, I remember he bought some socks recently from a sustainable brand. He was like, yeah, the price point is different, but you know what? I can afford it.
1: <laughs> you know what? It's so interesting what you said about the difference between men and women in terms of their carbon footprint, because it's making me think of like the beauty tax, right? Mm-hmm. So women obviously... Feel compelled by society to do all these things to their bodies. And, you know, obviously that involves a lot of products. Yeah. And very often you will probably increase the amount of products you use if you're about to, say, go on a date. Yeah. Because we are conditioned to think we have to put on a show, we have to put on our best selves, put on a performance. And so I think that in and of itself is probably resulting in a much higher carbon footprint. Oh isn't my it? God. Because we're totally. using all of these things.
2: I mean, even like, so, you know, I've, you know steve's like we've got the cabinet in the bathroom and i've got obviously way more space than he does way more shelf space everything cuz for a while you know he's packing and it's just like right shampoo body wash razor good to go you know that that's never going to be me and steve's like oh you know he, I, he's basically got three products he uses and i kind of started to say to him look you're very young looking but if you don't start taking better care of your skin <laughs> that won't last. And so actually during the pandemic, I did sort of start to push him in a different direction. Also, I'm like, I have so many products and I tend to buy things that are very unisex anyways. I'm not into like a lot of floral scents. I just like clean scents. So I'm like, why don't you stop buying like the the stuff from that brand that you know isn't sustainable and just start using my stuff and playing with that. And so I got him using face cream during the pandemic. And he was like, look how young my skin looks.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. The downside
2: of that, though, is that he doesn't quite understand portion control because he's been, you know, buying stuff off the grocery supermarket shelves. So he splashes around like a duck. So I have to sort of hide the things that are a bit more pricey for myself
1: i i do that with my boyfriend as well um because he'll just be like can i borrow some face cream and i'll be like yeah okay and he'll go for the most expensive one and he'll
2: stick his hand in like a scoop Mm -hmm. and just take it out and splatter it on and it's honestly
1: it's a
2: nightmare
1: (laughs) um this kind of taps into what you write about in the book about the gender binary and how it's kind of messing everything up when it comes to sustainability Uh, could you talk to me a bit about what you mean by that and how we form this like consumer identity like how that derives from the gender binary?
2: I would say early in I started to realize that for certain designers there's very little difference between the men's and the women's clothing the women's clothing just often cost more and uh, you know in these strict binaries we leave no room for anyone whose gender isn't man, woman, that sort of thing. So that's the first thing is it's not the most inclusive way of going about things. But the second thing is we know about the pink tax for women's stuff. We know that women's clothing is gonna cost more sometimes than men would for no reason other than women will pay that, you know? Um and then I happen to really like men's clothing. I love my favorite favorite coat is a Dries von Noten men's coat. It's tie-dye. Every time I wear it, I get compliments. And do you know who those compliments come from? Women. I always get compliments. People will stop me in the street to compliment that coat. Wow. And I just think it's really sad because there are so few women that would even try on a coat like this because it's in the men's section. So like we're really we're missing out, you know? And mm. I do think, you know, if we had less of these rigid rules about where what section of the shop you can shop from. We really free ourselves in a lot of ways, you know. I I am that person where I want to look at the whole shop. I want to see the entire selection, and I think that it it makes my wardrobe better. And I think that if more people did that, they would free themselves in a lot of ways of like these these gender rules, which actually come from colonialism. <laughs> so in the book, I do talk about how um, a lot of indigenous cultures did not really have a strong gender binary until colonialism started to happen. And I get, I get deeper into that in the book. So I'm, I'm really paraphrasing roughly here. And so, yeah, when you sort of peel back the layers of why we live the way we live, why we do what we do, and you look at all these systems, you realize that like it's, it's oppressing so many of us and it's really not allowing us to live our best and fullest life.
1: Mm. You write a really brilliant story about um, shopping for your wedding dress and that experience being quite illuminating. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, It was the worst. It was the absolute worst. Like, so I would first say once you become over a certain size, your choices radically drop off of a cliff. And so that's the first thing. I'm a UK size 18, sometimes a 20, depending on the brand. And uh, I I would argue once you're bigger than a 16, like (laughs) you're looking at... Of not a lot of options and I didn't have a lot of money at the time we had been you know that visa process will really open up your pockets and dump them out and so um, we were trying to get married we had to pay for this expensive visa I actually ended up going with like two high street brands for a wedding dress because I didn't have the money and the access just wasn't really there for me now today if I had to do it I would definitely get something custom made from, you know, Etsy, probably I find a designer, but that stuff is pricey. And so the accessibility in the wedding industry really, really isn't there. And meanwhile, my partner just goes into his closet and pulls out a suit he had made while he was traveling he was like, Oh, wear this. And I'm like, Oh, isn't it nice to be you?
1: It's strange isn't it? I mean obviously there's so many archaic things surrounding weddings and the traditions of weddings but I think the idea that the bride if it is a, if it is a if it is a straight wedding the bride has so much pressure placed on her and it's all about her and it's everyone stands up to watch the bride walk down the aisle and therefore the dress needs to be the best dress she needs to look her best self yeah and it's it's just sickening, I like guess. It's, it's horrible. And I think when you think about it from a consumption point of view as well, obviously, you know, the dress is is a huge environmental impact. But then there's all these other things as well. Like Oh my goodness.
2: Like, there's a book called I think One Perfect Day, which is about the wedding industrial complex. And I, I haven't read it, but it's been on my list for a while. And it just when I, I I went wedding dress shopping while I was in the States before I moved over here with my siblings and my mom and my best friend and it was horrendous but the place that we went to it was like a theme park of wedding stuff it was literally they were like over here we've got the bridesmaid section they have t-shirts for your hen party they've got drink cozies hats all sorts of things that you would never actually need and it's just like oh, are you having a Hindu? Are you having a bachelorette bridal shower? Here's a bunch of other stuff you need. So it's really just an opportunity to upsell women the most amount of crap ever.
1: Yeah. And actually, Hindus are probably one of the least sustainable things you can do. Because I'm just thinking of a Hindu I went to recently. We uh, We got given pajamas, specific pajamas for the thing. We got given like, like plastic sunglasses, uh like little plastic shot cups, loads of penis memorabilia everywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything penis shaped, um, all of this stuff. And we had to a lot of us had to buy special outfits for the day. Yeah. And you're you're not gonna use those things again. You're I was
2: gonna gonna say, are the pajamas usable or are they like really the- not great quality?
1: they are they are okay. but they're 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 not they're not great quality and mm-hmm. they've got like you know Hindu embroidered on the back so you know how often as yeah. as often these things do how often are you going to wear something like that
2: I mean even at Christmas that's become a thing as well so my sister got us all matching pajamas one year for like a Christmas photo and it was it was such a nice like move but those pajamas are flammable
1: yeah well exactly that's the thing it's just it's 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 terrible and also thinking about all the memorabilia I remember we were cleaning up the next day and and it was just so bleak it's like what do we do with this save it for the next Hindu and use all the same like that's what you should do yeah but of course I'm pretty sure all that stuff just went in the bin because yeah I mean we live in London where are you going to store it you know exactly exactly and where are you going to keep penis memorabilia in your house <laughs> as well
2: decorate
1: with it. <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, I'll just take all of this home and just put it up <laughs> um I know you spoke about um Steve and your long distance relationship um so to fill the listeners in when Aja told me she was reading my book we wound up having like a long exchange of voice notes talking about long distance relationships and how you met your partner and I really enjoyed the story <laughs> so mm-hmm. would you mind sharing it with the listeners
2: Sure. So I used to write for a website that doesn't exist anymore. And I had pitched a piece about dating sites because honestly, I had the dating site that I met Steve on was responsible for like bringing me some of the worst men I've ever met, like easily. And so I was like, I want to write about these experiences. And this was odd six seven years ago, I, I need to write about these experiences, particularly as a black women, woman, because you get, you know, tons of messages from like white dudes, like, oh, I'm not really into black women, but you know, you're really hot. Or like, you know, how every year they they publish the findings of who receives the most amount of messages and who receives the least and black women and Asian men are always in the bottom half of, you know, the people that receive the least amount of messages. It's really messed up. And so I wanted to write about all of this for an essay. So I rejoined this site where i met a bunch of trash men and thought, oh, this will be fun. And then I, I got really immediately depressed because the men that I was looking at in the area where I was from were really not appealing to me. And I kind of thought, is this an age thing? Is it like this is where we're at? This is this is what you're this is what you're looking at. I don't know, I need to look at another location. So I started to sort of like just, I was just looking at London just to see, just to see what was out there. And then I was like, oh, he's really cute. Mm." I'll send him a message, cause I can just use a little flirtation. I just wanna look, you know what I mean? Like I was not, this is a fluke. I was not expecting this to work out at all. I just thought he was cute and I wanted to tell him he was cute. And he was standing on the train platform in Peckham Rye, which is right around the corner from where we live. And he said, he looked at the message and said, oh, what's the point? This girl's in America. And he thought, I'll just write back. Oh, she's pretty. You know, I'll just write her back. And then it just took off. And I was just thinking, I was waiting for that moment where he would meet someone. Because I I think that happens to me a lot where, you know, I've, I've been dumped a lot. So I was thinking there's no way that this can work out like, he's going to meet someone and I'm just going to get a message and he's going to be like, you're really nice and really great. and You deserve all the happiness, you know, the whole thing. So I really was like, there's no way this is going to work out, but I really enjoy talking to this person. So we talked for months and months. And finally one day he was like, look, I've got to take this holiday. Um, At the time he was uh, at the guardian and he was like, I've got to take this holiday And I had already booked a trip to Argentina, but what if I just bought a train, a plane ticket to New York instead? Like, would you, would you come up to New York and hang out with me? And I was a bit like, um, oh, you know, like really, really like, oh, I should do this. But then I have to go and explain to my family and I live with my parents at the time. That I man on the met a man on the internet and he's gonna come here and murder me. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: it sounds so, like a it sounds like a horror story. Oh God,
2: yeah, no. <laughs> the first thing my mom said is he could be a pedophile if my best friend wily told her that I had aged out of that curse. She was like, Axe murderer is probably a higher percentage <laughs> if we're gonna be real. So like, yeah, then you have to like explain to like your best friend and your family that like, yeah, I've been talking to this guy for like months and I think I'm gonna meet him so yeah everyone was definitely like I'll just getting catfished like that was the whole thing and then he was not only normal but great and then my family was like well I'll be damned so so that's how we and then you know two years later I got on a plane and came here for good. It's such a lovely story and I think
1: also because if you think about the way dating apps work now, because most people use apps, not websites, you wouldn't have met because they do it in terms of your geographical area. You know, you you're usually matched with people that are within five miles of you or something. Oh. Let alone across the water, across the water, across the, <laughs> across the Atlantic.
2: The, this, this <laughs> guy tries to do the same thing, but I figured out a way to trick the algorithm. So they do actually like the the thing is they they wanted you to pay more money to look at international selections that will actually just pay I was on the free service and it was like if you pay you can look at people from all these countries and I was like no there's got to be a way to cheat this system so I did
1: nice and so after that initial New York trip how did you make it work and before in those two years before you moved to London were you kind of just taking turns to visit one another yes
2: we did that every three to four months and we talked every day every day we would skype basically, just for like five minutes, just to say hello, you know, we sent some letters and cards and stuff, but we talked every day, lots Mm. and lots of talking. I would argue we talked way more then than we do now, and we live in the flat together. It's been a long pandemic, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Hold
0: up. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: How did how do you think being in that long-distance relationship changed the way the dynamic between the two of you? Like, did it did it speed things up? Did it keep things at quite a slow and steady pace?
2: Um, I think obviously the the parts about like you know living together and seeing how you know you do it that 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 was you know a challenge but I think in some ways I like to think of it as like the turn of the century when like a man would like get sent a woman from like his home country it was kind of I always joke with Steve that I was the family shrew and when he showed up my family was going to put a banner outside that was like please, sir, take our shrew. But um, (laughs) but yeah, I think in some ways it slowed it down. In some ways, it, it quickened the pace. Like I think when you're not doing this whole long distance thing, there's a lot of room to never discuss certain things with your partner. You know, there's a lot of room to really, really rush intimacy and not actually really get to know this person. And after, I would say after this time period in the pandemic, I think we're feeling our way back to sort of um, communicating differently because we just, I think when you just spend so much time with the person, it's naturally going to change the nature of your relationship. Nobody signed up for this.
1: Yeah, I was about to say it's so interesting because the the situation you had is very much a situation that loads of people experienced in the pandemic, not by choice. Yeah, exactly. Because they were meeting people online and then starting flirtations that way and then going months without meeting each other.
2: Yeah. So like, you know, for, for us, it was like, yeah, definitely. We went from having an ocean between us to being, you know, all of our possessions and personality crammed into a, a small London flat. And it's it's been pretty intense. Mm. We, we only work in extremes, we don't half ass anything.
1: I think there's something so romantic about it, though, about kind of really just like stripping back the dating experience so that it is in, in its purest form, just about communicating and no physical contact whatsoever. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the conversations that people were having around the time around lockdown and in terms of relationships was about how dating had kind of gone back in time to resemble more of like a courting situation Mm. where you know there are those limitations imposed on you and and obviously there are hard things about that but I do I do think there's something quite lovely about it as well. Yeah
2: totally (laughs) I mean even when I like when I came here in December 2017 darkest day of the year I arrived my mother had snuck some letters into my bag, one for me and one for Steve, where she wrote about like what she wants for us. And like, you know, just, just some words of advice and stuff. And there's something so old fashioned about that, you know, and she, she, I did, I didn't read Steve's letter, but I know that she was probably like, treat my daughter well. And if, if ever anything, I remember her asking him, like when, when we got engaged, she was just like, so what happens if it doesn't work out? Like you know, what, what happens? Like, basically, like, don't hurt my daughter's feelings. And Steve was like, if your daughter's not happy, I promise I'll buy her a ticket to go home. And so I think, yeah, it's it definitely felt like an old-fashioned courtship in a lot of ways, you know.
1: Mm, I love it. Um, I want to go back to talking about sustainability a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I want to ask you about friendships because okay. I think – very often when we are in a big friendship group or when, when someone is trying to really change the way that they interact with the planet, it can affect your social life a lot. It can affect totally. the conversations you have with the people around you and the things that you want to do with those people. So how, how would you navigate that situation? What difficulties do you think can arise in that?
2: Yeah, so I, I always tell people the strongest friendships grow together. Like we're not going to stay at the same place that is not human. If you you stay at the same place you are in high school, it's because you're not growing as a human and that's pretty sad. And so I think what people need to realize, and it isn't just sustainability, it's all these topics. The minute you start to really, really look deeply at the systems that exist on our planet, there are going to be people in your life that aren't there with you. And they can either make a choice to meet you halfway to dip their foot in the water too, or there begins to be a river between you. And then maybe that river grows into an ocean, but also not every friendship is there for your full journey. That's just the reality. Some people come in our lives. Some people go out and sometimes we learn things from these scenarios, but with my best friend, we definitely both sort of came off of fast fashion together. Like it used to be that, you know, she she and I would be like, ooh, let's go to Target for this designer collaboration. Like that was like the way we'd hang out. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to this store. Let's go to that store. And it was like both of us just at the same time were like, Yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. Like it was weird. It was, and I didn't, it didn't even have to really be said. I think me volunteering in a charity shop definitely changed the way we, we were looking at these systems. I think we were kind of over it together. And then she started buying from like this one sustainable brand who was just like, yeah, you know what? This stuff is like, this is what I want to wear. And I was like, yeah. And I think we just both gradually sort of took this journey together in this weird way, but it was completely unspoken. There was no point where we were like, we're not going to shop at those bad stores anymore. And I'm really grateful for that, that we were just so in sync. But I think consumerism as a system is really sneakily put into our society from a young age. I mean, and you see it everywhere. It's in movies where there's a makeover scene that always involves lots of shopping, etc. So it's very normalized and particularly women friendships, it's very normalized to be like, Go to the mall, go shopping. You're a woman. This is what we do. Women be shopping, you know? So I think when you start to pick that apart, you have to sort of look at the way you interact with people socially. And some people aren't going to get it and aren't going to, they are going to be like, why, why don't you want to go to the mall with me anymore? Or, oh, you think you're better than us because you don't want to buy this clothing anymore? You know, you, you will mm. get some of that. But I think the friendships that are strong, your friends will either say, okay, that's you. And and you're you know you have a separate opinion on it, or they'll come along with you and be like, actually, this is pretty cool. I'm happy we did this. But it's hard. Like I think about you know multi level marketing, and like there's like a a brand that does like clothing, like leggings. They start out with leggings, and if you look this brand up, there the the saga behind this brand and the drama is legendary. Um, so there's this multi-level marketing group that does leggings and there's all this internal chaos. It's just like stuff you wouldn't believe. And, you know, they have all these lawsuits against them. Anyways, leggings at one point in time sold really well. And then they branched out to other things, dresses, that sort of stuff. And now when I go into charity shops, it's full of that brand because it's multi-level marketing. So your friend decides that they're going to become a seller of this stuff. They invite you over for a party and they say oh there's no pressure but there you are being pressured to buy something that you don't even want and then now when I go to my local charity shop I always find items from this particular brand wow so let's That's... think about the ways in which friendship plays into how we consume
1: yeah definitely it's is it's completely fascinating and I was just even thinking about like you know the how often you go out for dinner and you know all of the water that will be used in the restaurant that is cleaning up those plates or whatever it's like all of these like really things that you just don't think about in terms of the environmental impact of them because you're just like oh I'm just going out for dinner with a friend but as opposed to going to a restaurant the more environmentally friendly way of hanging out with someone is probably to invite them to your house yeah or, and not order a takeaway I just cook Cooks, you know what, what food you cook as well. That's a part of it.
2: Cheaper, it's much cheaper. It's way cozier, you know. And and it also, you know, I I think we've all been that friend before, where maybe you don't have the money, but you're kind of faking it because you still want to sort of be a part of it. And so you go out and you go to a restaurant that you can't really afford, you know. So I I definitely think just thinking about these things and applying it to our friendship group is sometimes better for all of us, you know, like. You don't have to eat out with a friend to enjoy their company. You can invite them over for a meal, and that can mm. be really equally as good, you know. And
1: and the same applies for dating as well. I think in those early stages of dating someone,
0: yeah. there's
1: a lot of you know you're not going to invite someone around your house on mm-hmm. the first date, really. But I mean, I was just thinking, I just thought, oh, God, I've done that actually. <laughs>
2: I, you know what? I have too. But you know, you can go to the park and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a tea from home." I actually did go on a date once with the with the person who brought like hot toddies and like oh, nice. cups and we just walked around DC and looked I at the monuments at night that was an okay date
1: but that's another pandemic thing isn't it because that's what people were doing they were yeah. going on social distancing walking dates and having picnics in the park yeah and so that that was also incredibly like so much more sustainable than what people do now whereas you know the traditional kind of routine is like oh we'll meet at a pub and then we'll go out for dinner or we'll go to a bar and you yeah. do that for variety of weeks and then it's like my goodness you've used up so much energy and you've really upped your consumption in that period of time yeah and you really didn't need to absolutely
2: and so I think we just have to rethink all of the peer pressure and consumption that's like put on us and think about what are we doing who are we trying to impress what are we doing this for would it be better to do things a different way and that's why i wanted to write consume because I When I participated in fast fashion, I kept telling myself, this is great. I love this. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And deep down inside, I was like, why did I buy so much clothing? Oh, this is disgusting. I live with my mom and she's going to make me feel bad. So I have to leave it in my car. And then when she goes to bed, I'll sneak out and get it and bring it in at the time when you're at the register, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to buy this,
1: you know? <laughs> totally, totally. God, I'm actually, I'm so bad with clothes. I have so many clothes. It kind of sickens me. We all do. It's time for our lessons in love segment. So this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they've learned from their previous relationship experiences. Mm-hmm. So what would your lesson in love for us be today?
2: Don't sell yourself short. Honestly, I feel like I spent my 20s dating people where I was amazing and I always felt like I wasn't enough. But in actuality, I think geographically speaking, I was never going to be anyone's cup of tea where I lived. That was just it. It wasn't. and, And so I was basically like dating underneath myself and then like being like heartbroken when this person that I had to like grow to love didn't like grow to love me in the same way. And so Honestly, if I had to go back in my 20s, I would date fewer people. I really would. Yeah. was
1: I, it's funny. I was talking to someone about this quite recently, and they were saying how they knew someone who was reluctant to break up with their partner because they just felt so grateful that someone wanted to be with them.
2: Yes. Yes, it's exactly that. And I think we're so afraid of being alone. And it's hard, too, because, you know, where I was living, everybody around me had relationships. You know, my best friend was definitely serial monogamous. Like she was always in a relationship. My sisters were always in relationships. So I'm not going to make it seem like it's easy because it's tough when you feel like, you know, everybody's sitting on the seesaw with someone and you're sitting there alone, you know, that's the reality of it. And, but if future me could build a time travel machine, I'd go back to my twenties and be like, you're wasting your time and you're happy in your own company, you know, but uh, could have, would have, should have.
1: Yeah, it is hard though. I think we do. And there is a lot of talk about this at the moment about learning to enjoy alone time and learning to enjoy self care. I really hate that term, but you know what I mean? And just really enjoying it. And I think the pandemic has obviously brought all of that to the surface a bit more yeah. because so many of us did spend more time on our own particularly if you lived alone
0: yeah and
1: in those first few months before the government introduced um support bubbles which when you look back on it is nuts isn't it that yeah. people weren't actually allowed to see anyone if well, you lived alone
2: <laughs> so that was the only thing that I really um you know I had envy people that lived alone for so long because I never got to I couldn't afford it and it just never worked out And so the pandemic, I was like, that was the only time where I thought, oh, it would suck to live alone. Normally I'm really like, oh, good for you. You get all that space to yourself and nobody's telling you where to put your stuff. And it's just, oh, it's great. But yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And I think also if we can be really honest, you know, within our society, nobody says it, but the world definitely favors people in couples. There's an advantage to being in a relationship. You know, when I was, Single, for instance, I wanted to travel to all the places that I have been to now with my partner, but I'm a single woman and my parents would be like, no, you're going to get like murdered. You know, I've always wanted to do a cross country road trip, but like as a single woman, the world isn't that safe. And so there's a certain element of having a partner that allows you to move in the world and some of the ways that you want to move, which we don't talk enough about that, but we should, it's very unfair. But if we're also really getting into the numbers of it, property ladder, I know very few single non men that can get on the property ladder all on their own. You know what I mean? I'm not even saying like, cause there are people that obviously will have inheritance and then they'll get on the property ladder and be like, I'm a self-made person, you know, but it's like, no, you were born on third and think Mm. you hit a home run. But the reality is the world still doesn't pay women the same as men, you know, the world is still very, very exclusionary in some ways. And so I totally understand why people beat themselves up for not being in a relationship. There's a lot that happens when you're in a relationship that isn't perfect, but Mm. society does give you some advantages that people don't often want to acknowledge.
1: Definitely. And not just financially as well, I think socially even because, you know, as a couple, you probably you you know you double your social circle and yep. you you go to more events and you have more friends and you you can you can just move about like you said a lot more easily and with and and you can expose yourself to different circles as well and yeah. i think it's um yeah i think there is a lot to be said about um the way that we do kind of prioritize couples yeah we society. do and then like at the same time
2: everyone's like you're a single woman you go girl or when c- people in couples go oh I'm so jealous of you oh that must be so amazing I'm like Fuck off
1: <laughs> it's so funny it's because it's because the couple particularly when it's a straight couple it fits society it fits perfectly fits the societal mold like that's yes. how that's what the world is built for you know yes, exactly um, it's built for straight Couple. Yeah. <laughs> well as straight right. white men really but
2: <laughs> Great, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know there is that thing where people in relationships will just say like really insufferable things to people who are single and it's just like can we all like cut the shit like that single person does not have the same financial power as you two do together that's why they can't buy a house and you can but also family planning, that sort of stuff. I mean, I met Steve later in life and now we're really, really under the wire if we, if we want to have a family, like that kind of sucks. It sucks to have like everything happen at once. And then you feel really overwhelmed. You're like, wow. Okay. So I've done this one thing, but now I have to do this thing in this certain amount of time. So like, as someone who's been on both sides i could see the pros and the cons
1: of all of it yeah and also you can't plan these things you know no. I mean, you everything don't. happens for a reason and you
2: never know when you're gonna when you're gonna meet someone and sometimes it's very easy to feel like you never will you know because mm. i felt that so
1: but you will you will
2: <laughs> i believe i believe you will like i said if the barber family can find someone to take their shrew and move her <laughs> over the ocean there's hope for you too
1: that's it for today Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Hold
0: up.